Welcome to episode 288 of the Win 6 podcast. I'm your host, Adam McGee, and joining me as usual is my good friend, Jordan Tresky. Hello there, Jordan. Hello. Jordan, we are here to to celebrate, uh, to recognize a pretty momentous night for the books, although the way the whole thing comes about is just a little bit of an anticlimax. Um, coming way after the fact and you know with the other 29 fan bases in the NBA just complaining about how this is this is all wrong but for the Bucks on Monday night in Santa Monica California the NBA awards were uh, kind of an end of season party as such you know uh, a moment to reflect on a 60 win season on individual brilliance on the floor um, on the sidelines and in the front office and it wrapped up with Big wins for the books. Most importantly, Giannis is named MVP. Mike Budenholzer also picked up his second Coach of the Year award. And John Horst got to take home Executive of the Year. Um, we'll talk about all three individually and I guess the context that those wins fall under within franchise history. But first, Jordan, your overall impressions from the night. I feel like this might be a spot where you can just kind of branch out and talk about NBA awards show in general. But your overall feeling of how the night played out and what it was like to watch that from a book's perspective. Um, well, <laughs> which direction do I take this in? <laughs> There's a lot of ways you could many. go. There are very many. Because it was certainly long. It was certainly long, um, <laughs> but there was, I don't know. It was, it's, <laughs> I know we were talking because obviously we had to cover it at the site and we we're just like, oh yeah, they're all the, the bucks, the most, the wards that are pertinent to the bucks are going to be, it's like a murderer's row. So it's basically the last half hour, but probably even more because it was a long broadcast. <laughs> uh <clears throat> I don't know. I, I think it's it's a weird you kind of I think you said it. I saw you say something like instantly when it like came on or some point at checks like Oh, it was when the Jabberwockies came out. I thought it would have been earlier when he was like auto-tuning but like weirdly rapping. Well, that was something. weird, but it's when you go from okay, like there's going to be one weird bit, but when when the bit evolves or you're like, okay, we're going to have stages of this all night long. That's when I was like, okay, yep. this is something. Lock in. <laughs> Buckle up. Yeah, that was, I don't, it's so weird. It's so weird to like think about like the night, like 
how it's divided too for me where I'm just like, come on, let's get this show on the road. And then it's like, bang, 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 bang. Literally, a murder's row of just like the Bucks winning all the most significant awards, basically, or not significant awards, but just, you know, I mean, the ones that were. I think MVP and them. coach are, I mean, executives probably should be, but the fact they don't even show that in the broadcast. Which, I mean, let's again consider the things you're showing on the broadcast of the time you're using up and you can't give John Horst like three minutes to go up on stage and make his speech in front of the cameras. It's kind of weird. I know that's not glamorous, but I feel compared to a lot of other sports, the NBA is somewhere where people do know about general managers and they have more of a kind of a wider awareness of who those guys are, what their job is, that you could probably do a little bit more with that. but. Yeah, interesting show overall, I think it's safe to say. I think there's a kind of a a fun dynamic. When I say fun, it's actually not fun at all. Um, it's fun to think about, but not necessarily to watch. I was thinking about it in terms of other award shows. Um, I would be quite a big Oscars fan, Jordan, as, as into film as I am. And people constantly talk about the Oscars going on for too long. And when I was watching last night, and I was like, let's look at the pretty modest amount of awards they actually have to get through here and just how long it's taking i was pretty blown away but there's another interesting dynamic at play where at most award ceremonies whether it's the oscars the grammys the golden globes the emmys the tonys whatever it might be you've got the key figures within an industry accepting their awards but they're not kind of solely responsible in a financial sense for the whole viability of the league and the business. Do you know what I'm saying? There's the kind of thing where it feels like, as opposed to some of those other scenarios, the NBA can't kind of bring up music and play Giannis off stage when his MVP speech has gone on for six and a half minutes. Now, nor should they. That's the, that's the ultimate moment. But we had long speeches early on too, where you're just kind of like in another awards in literally any other awards ceremony someone's gonna be like this is great and all but we've got a tv show we got to keep it running where you've got this really weird relationship where obviously the nba is so important to turner they're just like yeah sure we'll cancel bones or whatever's next to keep this thing going for 20 minutes uh and the nba are like well let's uh, we're not going to stop any of these people from going on as long as they want to so it's just it's kind of a weird thing all around, and that is without without Shaq. With Shaq, I mean, in theory, yeah, I the, I, the idea I, was kind of, I was like, okay, <laughs> I like Shaq. Um, but the whole thing was kind of going from these moments where I'm like genuinely laughing because he can be really funny. And then the very next moment you're like, wow, this is what happens when, you know, not a real comedian, not a professional host is tasked with doing something like this. It was pretty much off the scale. I think as a lot of people noted um, when Hassan Minaj came out later. And what award did he present again? Defensive player? Defensive player of the year. Uh, it was just like an entirely different thing. It's mm-hmm. like someone who's professionally funny, um, professionally a host who also knows a lot about the NBA. And the whole thing takes on a different energy. We are like, hey, maybe if that guy was hosting, this could have been a much funnier show that also would have been over within an hour. And yeah, I mean, we don't need to, we don't need to mitigate the whole 
all the problems of the NBA award show, particularly not right now, because if there's anyone, you know, who's, who's fine with it, it's us. It's all of us books people. But a very, very weird show. I thought the Star of Steel would have uh, had more polish as a host. He was That's a movie that Jack was in. It's a, it's a deep cut. Sure is deep. Um, <laughs> let's get on to the real business at hand. Let's talk about the awards. Um, you know, I guess let's build it up to Giannis. Let's not just go straight to MVP. Let's start with John Horse, Executive of the Year. For all that I said a few minutes ago, that this seems like the award where there's a greater awareness among NBA fans as to who these people are and, you know, what they're doing, what their job is. I was honestly quite surprised at some of the reaction when this award was announced on Twitter from fans and other places around the NBA who clearly just haven't been paying attention. I guess, hey, that's part of it. But these are people who I'd consider pretty switched, switched on and um, locked into all things NBA. And Horst won pretty comfortably in the end, right? Or no, sorry, his was the close one. He just edged out Tim Connolly. Um, but he, where he won pretty comfortably was, I think he had 10 first place votes to Connolly's five. I think that's ultimately what made the difference. And I was really, really glad to see him get that award and see him get that re- recognition from his peers. Because honestly, it's not the first time we've talked about it. It won't be the last time. And of course, um, kind of underneath the surface here is the fact that a colossal week for him is like right in front of us. But the job he's done to this point has been pretty incredible. And to see him get the recognition for that was really, really nice, but also this to me, there was a very surreal edge to a lot of the night, as there has been with so much of what's happened with the books this season, and even the last couple of seasons, as Giannis' rise in particular has really kind of brought them to places that, you know, we hadn't associated with the books for quite some time. But with Horst in particular, to think of how he came into that job, to think of everything that surrounded it at that moment, and to think in such a short space of time, here we are, is really, really impressive. Yeah, I I completely agree. I think I can understand some of the outrage because obviously, again, this is un, under the banner of it being the regular season and it's hard to ignore just how the Bucks season ended and who they fell to and how they won the championship. Because obviously, Masai Ujiri certainly was deserving of his own uh, of, you know, executive of the year considering just how he reshaped the Raptors roster and did very, uh, I don't want to say controversial decisions. Maybe that was more like firing Casey more than anything rather than trading DeMar. But you know what I mean? Certainly significant. Bold decisions, yes. Very bold decisions. Cold at the time. But then they turned out to be warm and fuzzy. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway. Um, But I think think the theme to it, and I – would probably say the same thing for obviously Boonholzer and obviously Giannis is that the, going from the leap to middling team eighth seed or seventh seed um, last year to contender that no one, very few people. I mean, every again, that was like the, the hope that we had that like if everything goes right. If all these, all these pieces lock into place, 
they take the bud system, you know, right away, all this stuff. We would be like, okay, we can get to the second round, we can get to the conference finals. No one saw this, like, you know, the all the numbers, all the stuff that we were saying during the regular season and just saying, like, oh, this is a this is the best team in the league. Like that stuff, like going from making a 16 win leap and becoming best team in the NBA record wise and all this stuff like that just does that's always going to kind of tilt the you know the the favors towards their or towards their way and all that stuff but I don't know I, I don't know I just think it's that's that's what makes this I'm rambling at this point basically much like the NBA award show anyway um, but I just think the fact that they the Bucks just came out of nowhere in that in that you know quick span of time because obviously we live and die with every move and all this stuff. But when you take a bigger picture out of this, this, this whole thing's been 12 months. It was literally from the point that they hired Budenholzer and then the summer happened, all this stuff, like it just came together so freaking fast that it, you know, it, it makes sense why Horace would win this, uh, the executive of the year when there's very other deserving ca- candidates and finalists and all that stuff. Um, I don't know. That's what makes it all the more surreal, like you said. I think the thing with Horse's case, and I think it's most important for this award, and maybe this is what just kind of gets lost to fans of other teams because they don't have to care about this stuff. Um, what you've discussed is a massive part of it. And I think from the outside, that's the easiest way to justify why he won the award. And it's kind of, it's also hard to complain with that approach. But to me, like... <laughs> The best work of his job went so far beyond that because he did, you know, what's close to the impossible thing. It is literally your sole goal if you're an executive in an NBA front office is um, let's try and make moves that are both good for the present and good for the future. And he spent the entire year doing that. I mean, we're preparing in the coming days. We'll have episodes about free agency and all the stuff that's going to face the books for that. Um, chances are, if you're listening to this, you know a little bit about it, though. The books are facing a real salary crunch. Um, one that the Tony Snell trade a week ago, another movie has made, has certainly helped to alleviate. But let's cast the clock back to December, and let's imagine that Horse didn't manage to get rid of Matthew Delvadova, John Henson, two borderline untradeable contracts. I mean, at this point, we know no contract is untradeable, but those two sure seemed close. Get rid of them while also bringing in George Hill, who the book's third best player over the course of the playoffs. At times, their second best player, but I think certainly probably over all three rounds, their third best player overall. Probably. Even if you wanted to just make an allowance for Brogdon um, obviously missing some time with injury and you're putting him ahead of him. I mean, at worst, Hill was the book's fourth best player. That trade in itself is an executive of the year case. It's just, it's truly masterful because without that, the books have already waved goodbye to Brook Lopez because they're they're sitting on Delhi and Henson's contracts and they're going to be going deep into the luxury tax. Or you know what? I'm actually wrong because they wouldn't have got as far, honestly. Um, They probably wouldn't have got as far without opening up the flexibility because that flexibility in turn ended up being, you know, the platform that allowed them to take a gamble on Nikola Miritich, the trade deadline, which Mm -hmm. again, 
another really good trade just because Miritich, you know, crapped the bed and it get... didn't work out doesn't doesn't take away from the the thinking behind that and the need to make a move and the difficulty of doing it at that time when everyone knows you want to do something but you're also trying to combat moves that have just been made by 76ers and then also by the Raptors a move that in the end turned out to be you know the more valuable of the two but that's in part because you know Marcus Hall played well Miritich didn't it's a pretty simple one but even something like that Miritich trade, if you're done pack it, I mean, you can go four second rounders, which is a lot. Let's go and look at how he got some of those second rounders. One I mean, pick came from that George Hill deal, right? One from that. One was a f- basically a freebie for Meeks. taking on Jody Meek's suspension for a while. Um, another one came from the Wizards as well. I'm trying to think exactly how, but the Wizards went through a thing of just giving the book second round picks. Like, in reality, that wasn't a whole lot that was given up. And you built a team that was up 2-0, conference finals. As you've already touched on, you know, one one basket in overtime and you're up three games and you're going to go to the NBA finals and you're probably going to win the championship. That is amazing in its own right, but it's also the fact that it's now sustainable because of those moves. That this summer they can say, okay, we're really good, we're close, Let's bring back Chris, Malcolm Brook, um, probably George Hill as well, and you know have the ability to be able to pay them what just would have been beyond our means a while ago. Sure, it's still going to cost us. Sure, we're probably still going to end up at the tax. All those things are unavoidable to begin with, though. The difference is the books are now paying for a tax team that they can feel happy with. You know, this is a good team. Also, one that doesn't have a bad contract anymore. Like they're they're out of picks right we we know this for sure that is somewhat okay considering they don't have to move off of contracts right now i mean they're about to sign some pretty hefty deals that we've got to hope will work out i mean chances are the players they re-sign um aren't necessarily gonna perform up to their contract in terms of dollar value but that's something you know going in you're paying for the whole rather than the individual parts you're Mm -hmm. paying to Really keep Giannis happy and build a team that again is going to bring you back to that place where he'll commit long term. But you know, all of that just isn't there without the moves that Horse has made. And to me, that's the case. And that's when you're an executive from another team. If you look at the situation he inherited, I mean, there are other things as well that worked out nicely for him across the course of the year. Um, year one, DJ Wilson looked like an absolute horror show of a first pick. Um, from his very first draft, and all of a sudden, DJ becomes an actual contributor and shows potential that you say he could be something even more than that going forward. That also boosts, you know, the general perception of horse. Sterling Brown continuing to improve and play meaningful minutes. If Dante wasn't injured, from what he showed early in the season, he could have done the same. So your overall kind of picture of, you know, John Horse books is really, really impressive. And I, I think that factors in, like, what, what are the bad moves horses made so far? I think there's only one you could probably make the case. And again, I was kind of for it at the time. I said, I understand the logic here. Do you know which one I'm talking about? First one? No, I'm, I'm still for that one. I know, and it was at the time. Snell? <laughs> no, Tyler Zeller. Um, Tyler Zeller trade. And I mean, we're talking about something that's so marginal that it really doesn't matter very much. But I don't... I've... 
but that's that's maybe the only deal I look back on and I'd say like you know it probably wasn't great but then that is the benefit of hindsight that's like <laughs> I was just gonna say because that we have to that's we have to go back in our time machine just to remember how morose the feeling was about the bucks even though they were mm-hmm. just you know chugging along and but they're like that center situation between Henson was a fine was pretty fine that year but like between him and Thon there wasn't much cover at all and obviously th- this all stems from two firing kid I mean for a long time we were wondering whether that was even a possibility considering just you know the ties that he had to ownership and all that stuff like when was the how long of a leash would he have and all that stuff and then it just happened out of nowhere uh not nowhere, but just, you know, the, it still kind of felt like, oh, it actually happened, all this stuff, and, you know, I don't know. But, uh, I don't know. I, 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 that's the thing. It's it's ever, <laughs> it's been a, I'll, I'll just say it again, it's been like a 12-month undertaking that he's taken on, and there was, we talked about last summer, and Bud being hired, and, you know, getting Ursan Brook, Pat Connaughton, obviously a cast off from or cast off from Portland that was, you know, not a big you're not breaking the bank to get him, but still like that guy was a very incredibly, valuable contributor. Incredibly into important the player. Incredibly important player that you found the second week of free agency at a at a basically zero cost deal. And also that you, you know, got two years on that deal. So that if you don't have to renounce them for other things in the next week or so, you've got them at the same price next year. Like a move like that again is just evidence of how smart he was. I think the thing with Horse, though, and something which is obviously going to be much more apparent to executives, and it's worth noting, this is an award unlike the others, which are voted for by the media. This is voted for by executives. It's executives voting for who they feel is the best of themselves on that given year. And I think one of the concerns for Horst, and you know, it came from a pretty dysfunctional time with the way um, books ownership seemed to be communicating and how that process played out with Zanik and Karnasovas being wanted. And then all of a sudden, you know, at the very last minute, oh, here's John Horst, who's been sitting on the back of our front office for two years. He's the GM. And we're all like, this is a disaster. This guy has to be. He's a compromise. Surely he's just going to be like a puppet. He's going to be the ownership puppet who's going to do what he's told. And that was... In reality, he's turned out to be the strong voice that they've needed. Um, and that goes to that goes to hiring Bud too. I mean, amongst any kind of any room for discussion, debate, disagreement within the ownership group, which there is and always has been room for, he was able to come up with the kind of singular, okay, this is who we want. Um, it's been reported he was the one who continued to push Bud to ownership, brought them to him, went through the process. He ran that process in a way that, at least for the outside, was much smoother than any kind of book search of any kind had been under the current ownership group. And that really set a tone for just an entirely new wave of competence that went throughout the organization this year. And I think in a lot of ways, just in... Whether it's kind of the overall division of the franchise, the perception of ownership, all of the things that were kind of put as weird slights or reasons teams would be concerned or players would be concerned about possibly signing with the books and free agency or things like this. 
he's just done a lot of very simple things that build up to being oh no the books are this picture of you know um sensible and competent decision making now which very near past was not the case so it's a it's an entire overhaul of you know how the books operate on that level and look there are other things there are things we don't necessarily like but we can't exactly fault um that he has changed i mean they they do things differently for example draft workouts being entirely private um the books were only short of like live streaming workouts for draft prospects on their hammond it was literally you couldn't have had more access in terms of what they shared on their website interviews at every prospect full lists of workouts every day horses come in you don't get that anymore you don't get to know nothing about it and there's been a clear shift in some things i think he's embraced some of the things that he obviously learned and liked from hammond and he's moved in different directions with other things um there's other figures that we can't quite put a finger on you know what their contribution is but someone like milt newton who was very visible on the cameras last night that he found his way into every books related shot somehow he may be a much more important person than we ever give him credit for i think as a whole the front office seems to be working in a very kind of reasoned and pleasing way from our perspective certainly not something that we dealt with or anticipated at times in the past so this is this would have been a surprise i think at the start of the season even all things considered this is the one that would have probably been the biggest surprise do you think so Mm. of the of the entire awards or the ones that they won of of the ones they won yeah i mean my my reasoning for that being like as much as brooke was obviously a value signing at the time without like kind of pulling a trade off like Masai did for Kawhi, or you know, landing a big fish like the Lakers did at that point, or in the kind of steady free agency, all of that kind of stuff puts you in you know front runner position. So the kind of steady but even, good but deals about, don't accumulate until the season goes on. Yeah, but think about like it, it's kind of a weird, it's a weird dichotomy between the two, the top two finalists because Horace, like as you said, like this is kind of like snap your fingers and then. <laughs> Here it is. They're the Bucks are a contender, but like the Nuggets, like on the other hand, are like kind of the ex- the epitome of just like slow and steady and build up your base of talent and all this stuff. Commit to your core and all that. Draft and, pick after draft pick after draft pick. A lot of lottery guys, although their best player, they have not to just find that, the second but, round. Yeah, not just that, but like you know, commit to them too, because a lot of those are just a lot of those guys are on big contracts now at this point, and they're you know starting to kick in. Like that's like it's kind of a weird juxtaposition between those kind of philosophies. And that's the thing I, th- you know, going back to your question, like this is, was an incredibly competitive field. Cause it wasn't just you jury, uh, Horace, Tim Connolly can even go to like the Clippers and just mm-hmm. what they do done the last two years, basically. And just kind of not only like held their ground, but you know, one over 50 games this year. Um, all the, like, I, I'm probably forgetting even a, couple more uh you know deserving people but just that's i mean i would disagree but i would think the sixers are probably worth a mention um i certainly don't think elton brand was executive of the year but he pulled off some big trades and they looked pretty good in the playoffs so 
yeah, it was a very crowded field. And even, I mean, you're talking about the difference between the Nuggets and their approach. I mean, it also factors into, I think, you know, why at the end of the regular season was John Horst the executive of the year and Masai Ujiri wasn't. Um, when you say, okay, well, Ujiri brought in Kawhi Leonard. He he got Marcus Gasol to trade deadline. Why is that not instantly a case? He made bold moves, as you already pointed to, but he was able to do that off a really strong base of a team that was almost perennial conference finalists. Sure, they were getting, you know, swept out of there most of the time by, by LeBron, but this was a team that was, you know, there, ready to take the next step. The next step the books were tasked with facing and the horse was tasked with delivering was entirely different. This was like, uh, how about we stop being an eight seed, a seven seed, and losing in the first yeah, round? Get, and shall we can win a round? Together. Yeah. And then to go on and do what they did. And I mean, to finish the season at a point where you can feel like it's a missed opportunity, you can be disappointed that they didn't win an NBA championship. And without that being any kind of just over the top or unrealistic fan talk. You know, that's the reality of how far the books came this year. He deserves a lot of credit for that. Very happy to see him win the award. Strange that he is only the second books executive to win that award. And even stranger that the previous was John Hammond for the 2009-10 season. Um, I guess I understand why that is. But in hindsight, not a great uh, executive of the year case. We don't We don't need to dive into the... 0910 books. Um, but the award, it's worth noting, did only start in 72 73. Yeah, I was gonna say, um, which robbed uh, robbed the books of a real chance, robbed Wayne Embry of a chance. But even beyond that, I mean, you think of how they retooled at the turn of that decade from the 70s into the 80s and how good they were throughout the 80s. It's surprising that not once did they manage to get over that mark. Shows that it's kind of a tricky award to gauge, a weird one in terms of how it's ultimately judged. And with that in mind, it's nice that Horse managed to get over the edge with it. He has that forever now. For however inauspicious the circumstances that led to him getting a top job at the NBA were, um, from now on forward with the books, and if it's elsewhere later in his career, he will always be a former NBA executive of the year. Um, Let's transition over to... I guess a somewhat good example of that because when he arrived in Milwaukee, he was a former coach of the year and he always had that. This is a guy who's done this. Well, now he's done it twice. Mike Budenholzer has, for the second time in his career, had a 60 and 22, se- 60 and 22 season um, that ended up with him claiming coach of the year honors. Bud joins a very... Uh, select and prestigious group of coaches to have won multiple coach of the year awards um he joins hubie brown and mike d'antoni among coaches who've won twice only three coaches ahead of him do you remember do you know off the top of your head who the three are who was it come on you can do this this is not this is not the toughest question i've ever shown with you hubie brown no no hubie wait, is wait, tied with bud the three coaches ahead of Bud. For winning Coach of the Year? So, Bud has won twice. Three coaches have won three Coach of the Year awards. Oh, Pop? Pop. Bill? No. Oh. Interesting. Um, Auerbach? No. What, what year did it start? 62, 63. Um, Auerbach did win one. Only one. 
You should be getting one of these instantly because it's the only other books coach to win the award. Oh, Don Nelson. Don Nelson, who won two two with the Bucks, one with the Warriors. Um, the other coach who's won three is the only coach to have won with three different franchises, which I would think would also tip you off. Pat Riley? Correct. Mm-hmm. So, Bud is now uh, one more coach of the year away from joining Don Nelson, Pat Riley, Greg Popovich, which is pretty incredible company and considering his age and where his career is gotta like his chances of getting another chance to win one and possibly join that group in the near future how about next year um to begin with i mean look we talked about how horse overhauled the books year on year and how he turned them into this juggernaut equally as responsible for that is is mike budenholzer um this is the one that wasn't actually all that close in the end he won it pretty comfortably in again a field that was very competitive uh mike below and doc rivers were the two finalists even beyond them there were plenty of other strong candidates uh, nick nurse now again with hindsight it stands out as one very obvious one but to me this couldn't have been any more deserved and essentially i think the highest compliment i can pay but is I had very high expectations for what the books under Mike Budenholzer could be when he was hired as coach. Uh, I had a very clear sense of what I thought they might do, how they might look. Um, Even at the point where, you know, the first rumblings of they might meet him came about. He kind of went on and realized exactly that. And in some ways, you know, you could take that for granted, but I think actually coming in, um putting his philosophies in place getting buy-in from the players um talking them out of endless bad habits and getting them to take up an entirely different way of playing on both ends of the floor um like the defense was completely overhauled into something that looked very very different i mean almost a polar opposite in terms of going from ultra over aggressive to very very conservative at times uh, but then the offense side of the floor, we go from, you know, a books coach who was actively discouraging players from taking three pointers to a books coach that's like, let's, if we're going to take 50 tonight, let's take 50, let it fly. To me, the ability to have your principles, to have a good track record of developing guys, to have all of that stuff, to know how to do it, to have won 60 games, to have uh, had the best record in the NBA for all of that stuff is all very impressive, but the ability to come in and actually, you know, make that payoff and to do so in one year is all the more exceptional early in the year. And I mean, even before that, it was before that because early in the year it became apparent pretty quickly then that the books had hit the ground running with this, but in the off season last year and into preseason, we talked a lot about this might take just a little bit of time, you know, end the season might be when the books finally get to, the best version of looking comfortable under under Bud. And really, it didn't take that at all. They got there right from the off. And I think he himself has already, um, around the time of exit interviews, noted how he feels there is room for improvement. There are things they will do better next year compared to this year. Overall, for getting a team to buy in and adapt and really change him like this, there's no doubt that this is deserved, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, to turn like what we said with Horace to turn in a <laughs> middling team into a uh, juggernaut hiding in plain sight. Um, but to into a title contender, I mean, that's in one year. That's 
speaks for itself. That was, that, but it was always looked as the last piece to it all. And obviously that's kind of oversimplifying things because it just, he, it, you know, he wasn't just the last piece. There was obviously other things that needed to be addressed and they did, but to have someone that could do such a thing, you know, galvanize a team, all this stuff and have it, be you know seen on the court and go to the conference finals like that stuff it's easy to talk about now and kind of be like oh like that just happened you know we have to look forward and all that stuff but like that that doesn't happen for every coaching change and all this stuff and especially for a team that was like the bucks for a very long time um and you know players Basically, everybody, everybody that was on that had a very meaningful or you know consistent role for the Bucks, they all benefited from Boonholzer being there, and he's he's even had a, one of his own assistant coaches leave because of just how successful, you know. Obviously, Atlanta was what he did. In Atlanta speaks for itself, but just in one year in Milwaukee, like it just raises his profile as one of the best coaches in the league. Um, and all that at, stuff, at this point, you know. that that's something that I think obviously needs a lot more attention. I think than it gets to. Obviously, we'll see how Terry Jenkins does with the Grizzlies, but I think there's every reason to think he'll probably do really well because they've got a fun young core going on that he's perfectly suited to developing. And if he applies a lot of the same principles, they if they give him the time and patience that which, is afforded to it, which is a ownership big question for Memphis, that ownership, yeah, is is a tricky thing to overcome, but I think there's every reason to believe he will do really well there and become a really good coach. And then you look at what Kenny Atkinson is already. You look at what Quinn Snyder is already, but might have the strongest coaching tree in the NBA. You know, I mean, obviously pop is the obvious one where Bud comes from, where Brett Brown comes from, but so far Bud hasn't had some of the kind of misses that have come from the Spurs coaching tree too. Do you know what I'm saying? There just seems to be he gathers a group of coaches together year on year and it has changed and it has evolved that get to thinking about the game the same way. They all seem to get very much on the same page. They take a little bit from each other and ultimately they come up with a style of playing that they all feel comfortable taking to new places. Just kind of core philosophies that work, but also a style to just kind of management, a style to coaching, a style to dealing with Players as people, um, which has always been highlighted as one of Bud's great strengths and has similarly kind of held true for guys like Snyder and Kenny Atkinson in particular um, since moving on. That in its own right says a lot about what Bud does and what he's built. Just, just how translatable it has proved to be in taking it from one scenario and putting it in an entirely different scenario with different players, different expectations. like. Hawks to the Bucks, very, very different, right? Giannis is really the major difference in that. You could say two good teams, two good solid playoff teams, um, and then a superstar in one gives you possibly a higher ceiling. That might be a fair analysis. Look at the way his assistants have branched out, though. I mean, look at the Jazz, and even though maybe not quite where they were now when, when Snyder took that job, high expectations still on a good team. And then you look at Kenny Atkinson and the kind of, you know, with no no disrespect intended, scraps that the Nets were picking up because they would no draft picks and trying to mold into something. And he did so very successfully. And you see these key 
core elements that translate from one coach to the other. Now, obviously, they all have their own ideas, but the, the Budenholzer influence in that imprint is really clear. And I think when you kind of zoom out like that, what he's done with the books comes even less surprising because you're like, well, this is at this point a very kind of tried and tested way of coaching, a tried and tested way of coaching an NBA team in the modern day. Why wouldn't it work? But even with that, we think of, okay, the infamous breakfast meeting with Giannis and Chris that took place before he was officially hired. Um, Chris being told at that meeting or certainly getting a very clear sense, your role is going to be different. Buying into it, not always having his best results, um, but buying into it. Then when he was struggling with that role, Bud being you know, adaptable enough or understanding enough in terms of his player to say, okay, we've got to give you a little bit more. And it was something that became something of a topic of conversation down the stretch was, okay, we've got to let Chris go ISO sometimes because he's really good at that. It will keep him in the game. It gets him engaged. And the more engaged he is, the better it is for us as a team. I think that's just one of many examples of where you can say, okay, this is someone who's had to do something different, but they've bought in. I mean, the other side of that is, sure, Horst does a great job in getting Brook Lopez, um, but Brooke Lopez with the Lakers last year versus Brooke Lopez with the Bucks this year is still a very different player. You know, understanding how best to weaponize Brooke Lopez is really important. And both the coaching staff nailed that. Likewise, we can say, oh, getting Pat Connaughton's a great pickup. You know, Connaughton had much more consistency, and there were still bouts of inconsistency with his shot, um, most obviously. But he had much greater consistency with the books this year than he ever really managed with the Blazers. Um, Production-wise, it might look kind of flat, but in terms of night-to-night, his impact on the game, he reached a different level with the books that wasn't there before. I mean, DJ Wilson is an obvious example. Maybe we can point to just DJ Wilson as a rookie was just too raw. It was kind of a little bit too soon. Maybe it's just also the difference between being coached by Mike Budenholzer and his assistants are being coached by Jason Kidd and Joe Pronti. Mm-hmm. You know, there's these kind of small cases across the roster, even without going kind of macro and saying, look at how he overhauled the schemes. That I think all in all, it's very much a complete case. And, you know, you've got all of those details. And then at the end, as your kind of, you know, exclamation mark, you've got, oh, yeah, best record in the NBA. <laughs> only team to win 60 games best record in the nba like coach of the year cases don't really get much more cast iron than that mm-hmm. anything else on bud um no i i thought his speech was really good i mean it was pretty <laughs> budenholzer ific uh, <laughs> I will say, and look, we'll be talking about emotional speeches uh, in a bit more detail very shortly, but I'm not saying it moved me more. It didn't. Yanis' um, speech certainly hit hard. But when Bud got a little bit choked up talking about his kids and stuff, that, that also hit me. I was like, you know, seeing, seeing Bud. Stoic Bud. Bud of all the many faces show this kind of vulnerability on that stage. I don't know, something about that got to me. Maybe that's just me. Maybe that's just my long, long history at this point of watching Mike Budenholzer. 
yeah. outside of his own family. I'm not sure there are many people who've watched as many Mike Budenholzer coach games as I have over the last whatever it is now, six years. Um, one last thing on the coach of the year, as I already alluded to, Bud becomes only the second books coach, which this one is even more surprising, but only the second books coach to win the award. Uh, following up Don Nelson, who won it in 83 and 85, I believe it was. Um, this award started back in 63. So the fact that Larry Costello didn't ever manage to get one of these is kind of surprising. And I guess this could point to some of the weird, you know, what's gone at the moment where people are like, oh, the Raptors won a championship and the, the awards are going to look like this. I mean, if you look back at 71, you There's see... There's always examples of that. You see Dick Mata and the 51-31 Chicago Bulls um, <laughs> as coach of the year, and you're kind of like, hmm, really? Okay. Um, it got 74 when the books made the finals against a great Celtics team. You see the 52-30 and 30 Detroit Pistons coached by Ray Scott winning coach of the year. And it's kind of like, hmm, okay. Um I'll be honest, Jordan, I can't pretend to know who Ray Scott is. Um, I don't know if he even coached the Pistons for all that long, but there you go. Um, only the second books coach to win coach of the year and a very, very deserving winner. On to the big one. Um, this was a real moment. It kind of, the way the awards are structured, and we don't need to go through this again, and everyone else has kind of talked us to death, but they just kind of sneak up on you, and the whole thing is maybe not carrying the punch it kind of should have. And then Adam Silver standing on stage, and he's taking forever trying to wrestle the envelope open. Um, really awkward uh, drama, you know. What's the TNT slogan for drama? They do we know drama. They sure do, and Adam Silver <laughs> got a some sort of drama workshop before going up on stage and trying to open the envelope. Um, which, come on, Adam Silver already knows who's MVP at that point. Come on, there's no, there's no doubt that Adam Silver knows. Um, but when you get to that point, right? To me, anyway, I felt this is a real. This is MVP. <laughs> this is not just... This is the most prestigious individual award in the NBA. This is the most historically significant award there is in basketball. And here we are. Giannis is winning it. And I mean, sure, we've all watched him play this year. It's like, he's the MVP. But then there's also the other part of it, which is like, we've watched him like the last few years and we've watched him as one of the weirder development stories and weirder development arcs in recent NBA history and just how, how he went from being, say, um, the rail thing guy who decided to send Mike Dunleavy into the second row in a, and get ejected in a playoff game in his second season, right? Mm-hmm. Um, like, again, end of his second season, that's where he was at. He was averaging like what 14-ish points, if even. Kind of pretty middling. I mean, all the potential was there. Plenty to be excited about. His size, his tools, his wingspan, his work ethic. All of those things were there to say, you know, this guy has star potential. But not many MVPs get to follow that track of being at that point at the end of their second year and then ending up at this point by the time they're 24. So for me, there was a real kind of out of outer body, you know, 
whoa, this is this is something again where we we have spent so much time, you and I, Jordan, over the years on this podcast and, and our writing up behind the book pass, kind of talking about the books and the books as a whole, the books as an institution, books history, what all this stuff means. And right there, this is a moment that goes right up towards the very top of the greatest moments in franchise history. And maybe the greatest story. I mean, it's not yet it's fully finished. It's the greatest story. It's, it doesn't even come close. Winning a championship it, or, so quickly? I guess Kareem was such a certainty that, you know, once you win that, once you win that coin toss. He was, he was already well known. Yeah, like, he was... Everyone knew that Kareem was going to go on and win championships um, and was going to be ready to be the best player in the league almost immediately. For this to develop as it is and to reach this point, I, I just thought it was a truly special moment. And one that I wasn't, it sounds stupid, but I wasn't quite prepared for just because of the way this whole cycle works, the way everything has gone with the books. I mean, even from our perspective, what we were talking about in the podcast, what we're writing about, we've just gone over to draft and we're really straight into free agency and just kind of in the middle of it all. So oh, yeah, here's, you know, MVP, it's Giannis. It's a really momentous thing. It's really, really special. And even as great as Giannis is, I mean, you can look around the MV, look around the NBA at great players who do great things year on year and don't necessarily get to, you know, get rewarded in this capacity all that often. Like, I don't think this will be the case, but it could be a long time before the Bucks have an MVP again. The fact that James Harden, for his recent play, has won MVP in three years is is a good example of you can be just insanely good. Five. Because he, he, he was a runner-up when Curry won the first time. It's not that long ago. Yep. Four years, right? Four years. Even LeBron. LeBron won four in five years, right? And the other one he lost was to Derrick Rose, where, you know, he had a really strong case and Rose just had a freak season and a whole bunch of things came together. I think in hindsight, a lot of people would say, eh, maybe that was just a narrative thing and, a you know, a change of let's not give LeBron a third in a row. But LeBron wins four in five years. Hasn't got one since. You know, this is such a big, big deal. That seeing that, and then, of course, seeing just what this meant to Giannis, and also all the other books figures, there must be three books tables right at the very front, which, to begin with, that's when you know you're picking up all the trophies. Um, But you just see all the faces around these tables and the mixture of sheer joy and, you know, total emotion. Um very much mirrored what Yanis was doing on stage and just made it such a special moment and one that I don't think will be forgotten for a long time. Absolutely not. I mean, if you really kind of boil it down to, uh, I know Kareem, what are you talking about? Janus Antetokounmpo. Is that Kareem Abdul-Jabir? <laughs> Is that who we're talking about? Yeah. Anyway, we won't touch on that. But if you think about it, like, Giannis has been with the Bucks for as nearly as long as he was. Like, if you kind of break it down in two, he was, you know, 11 when he started playing basketball, like, you know, organized basketball, to being drafted when he was 18. If you split that seven years and he's been with the Bucks, this will be next season will be a seventh season. So he's gone from that to, like, in the same amount of time from, like, this, like, weird, 
kid with you know long limbs, all this stuff, and just trying to learn how the game works and all this stuff to becoming the MVP in a shorter span of time. Like if I know that's kind of weird math and all that stuff, but like that's what just makes this whole thing just crazy is that year after year he just gets better, his production is better, all this stuff, and you know, I don't know. It's we certainly take him for granted at this point because he just does new things all the time and you're just like, Oh, there he is. That's that's Giannis. That's all you know, everything that he does is just remarkable and you know you kind of run out of ways to say just how great he is at this point, but I don't know. He's a global superstar, but he, there's just ways that this story touches everybody, not just Bucks fans, but, you know, fans of the NBA, Greece fans from Greece, obviously. It's just, it's, that's what makes this whole thing unique to me, at least, is that you can't really say that for a lot of players. Uh, and obviously, there have been European players that have won it before, like Dirk. But you know, it's I don't know. It's Dirk it's just is, like the new the only one, right? There's five overseas, but I mean that's like Nash, Dunk. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Am I forgetting another European? No, who's, who's the so. fifth? I'm forgetting. Did Ewing win one? Yes. Mm, no, I don't know. Yes, Hakeem, of course. Yeah. So he's only the second European. Um, he's in the ten youngest winners of MVP ever. Like, which I when I saw that number, I was kind of like surprised because that's I was gonna say it was gonna be lower, but uh, you know. Well, do you want two names of guys who also won their first MVP at twenty-four? I know Kareem won it when he was twenty-three. Yeah, uh, Michael Jordan and LeBron James won their first ones at 24. Who? Yeah, those guys. <laughs> um, I, I wrote a little bit about this earlier, and there is a real thing of trying to come to terms with this now. In terms of, like, sure, okay, he's had, what, six seasons? Um, and it's not, it's not a quite an overnight thing, but there has always been... Again, as I pointed to earlier, like if we look at where he was the end of his second season and then look at the ridiculous strides he's taken in the four years since, it's not particularly like anything else that has happened in the NBA, certainly in recent years. But there was always this idea of this guy could be special. And that started out with, you know, this guy could be an all-star. The books might have found themselves an all-star, you know, in Greece, in the second division, with you know a middle first round pick, all of this stuff, it's you know it's found money. This is great. This is the move that's finally going to start the team up to a new level. Then he just kind of breezes past that, and yeah, he's an all star, but um, wow, he's getting so much better than this. And still, the kind of dream was, I think this guy is an MVP, and we talked about him. We talked about it a lot, but. I think even, say, a year ago, part of that would be, like, yeah, Giannis is going to win an MVP, but he's probably, you know, in his prime going to win an MVP. You know, 27, 28, 29, 30. Those kind of years, he could win one. He could be a multiple-time guy. That's when he'll peak, and he'll certainly come to that level. 
to break through and win out of 24, and I think particularly in today's NBA, and particularly with the way the, the league is shaped up at the moment, where really the best players in the league for the most part, and the guys who've dominated this award for many years, are still right at the kind of, maybe they're starting to transition to post-prime, but they're right there at their prime. Um, Harden is certainly still in his prime. Durant certainly was still in his prime. Obviously, there's a big question mark. He's going to lose a year of that and what he looks like when he comes back. Um, Steph is probably just transitioning to post-prime, but in a very, very ever so slight way where he could still on any given night be, yeah, that guy's the MVP. And, you know, LeBron had a ridiculous season if he played defense and had any sort of competency around him the Lakers would have been a lot better and he may well have been in the discussion for this. And when you consider those kind of players, you know, historically where those guys are going to rank in the shape of the game for Giannis to come in at 24 years old, when there's obviously room for him to get better and room to keep learning and win an MVP. It just, it's an entirely different stratosphere. Like maybe Giannis could go win four MVPs. Why not? Like there is there is now no reason to say no, there's no chance he can do that. Like, for example, the run I made reference to earlier, where LeBron wins four and five years. Like that's that's an incredible feat. Incredible feat. Would anyone say that's entirely beyond Giannis? No. I don't think you can. And of course, the other thing on the night was, you know, he um was pipped into second place in defensive player of the year by Rudy Gobert, which I'm sorry, I think it's just a nonsense. It's a weird, to me, it's a weird reputational thing. And I think when we consider what NBA defense has to be in 2019, I think someone who is still pretty much just a traditional rim protector, he may be an unbelievably good one like Gobert. You know, he's not, his his size, his his length allows him to do a lot more. But Giannis and Paul George are two examples of what the best modern NBA defenders need to be. You know, they need to be able to cover all five positions. They need to be strong enough to battle bigger guys. They need to be smart enough to do that too. But they also need to just have the ability to pick up any player at any time. Maybe pick up two at a time as Giannis frequently does. And to me, there's just something weird about Gobert winning two in a row. Um, particularly following Draymond's winning his, which again is kind of that would seem like a marker. You say, okay, this is this is the evolution of NBA defense, and it really is. Like Draymond is very much central to how NBA teams have began to reimagine what you look to do defensively and what you ask your best players to do. But to go from that kind of one to Gobert two years in a row, and it's not it's not to slight Gobert because he's brilliant at what he does, but to me. You know, under different circumstances, very different circumstances, I'd probably be ranting for over an hour about defensive player of the year because it feels like Yana should have won that. So to bring that into the conversation we're having, to me, that feels like an inevitability that at some point in his career, he's going to get a defensive player of the year. Maybe, probably. I feel stronger about that. I think it's going to happen. 
Um, with that, obviously, there's an even more exclusive club. Like, basically, where I'm going with all of this is, look, there's plenty of things to play out. Obviously, what kind of players he's playing with, where he's playing, whether it's Milwaukee or it's elsewhere. Um, his health, knock on mm-hmm. wood. All of these things factor into what a player's legacy can be. But I think even kind of the wildest dreams for Giannis, we've got to kind of look past them now and be like, this guy could do something entirely different. This guy could go and win multiple championships, like quite a few championships. He is good enough to lead a team to that kind of level um, while also racking up individual awards at the rate that not many players have ever done and certainly no one has done for quite some time. Because that combination of someone who's going to be a perennial, I mean, certainly, look, winning it's one thing. If you were to say to me for the next five, six, seven years, every year this NBA award show comes around, Giannis is going to be a finalist for Defensive Player of the Year and MVP. I'd just shrug and be like, yeah, that sounds right. I mean, that's not to say that he wins any of them, but that he's always in, you know, the top three in both of those categories. Sure, that seems about right. And... Is he? He, I, he has to be the first most improved player to win an MVP. Dude, by the way, that sounds about right. I mean, I'm looking through the list. There's no way there's anybody else. Harden won six man, right? He didn't win. Yeah, he did win that. Um, yeah, I mean that certainly. Like the only the only person that comes close and probably MVP voting maybe Kevin Love. Paul George. Oh, Paul George does, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's also something. Yeah, his trajectory is just pretty historic. It's a pity he didn't win Rookie of the Year uh, because he would be on for, you know, the full set at some point. Um, but, I mean, at this point, I think our already sky-high expectations for him just have to be realigned further. There really is nothing you can put beyond Giannis. There is nothing you can say this guy can't do in terms of what his NBA career is going to shake out to be. And that is really incredible. I mean, people talk about generational players. Um, Obviously, I feel like even when it's been unspoken, that's been a major part of the subtext over the last week with Zion entering the NBA. Obviously, LeBron now approaching the latter stages of his career. Giannis might be the guy, though. I think when this group has looked back on it, really could be Giannis. He's certainly better positioned than anyone to be that player now. And, you know, with his body being handled better, with a coach that's um, taking better care of him, with minutes being reduced, things like that, it's... It's going to be fascinating to see what happens. One thing I will add to this, which did enter my head, and as a discussion I'm sure we'll have over the next few months, and I'm sure we'll bring out all sorts of fun and not-so-fun exchanges around Bucks Twitter. Um, obviously, this is a FIBA World Cup year. Giannis has previously indicated he was going to play for Greece, although in the past we have heard him say that and then it not happen. This probably isn't what I should be saying from a book's perspective, but I really want Giannis to go and play for Greece this summer. I would I would just love to see him take that on and again have the chance to go, okay, let's lead this team and see how far we can go. 
Um, obviously, it's a very tall task considering the talent around him and considering who they'd be playing against. But again, would you bet against Giannis? Um, what he can do, what he could add to his legacy, it certainly would seem like something fun to watch while we wait for Bucks basketball to return. Uh, the speech, I mean, we should probably touch on the speech. Jordan, was it getting a little bit misty where you were? I was standing outside. <laughs> <laughs> it was actually raining last night. You were paying through a window to watch it? Was that it? Yep. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Just a, a neighbor's window, Jordan was gawking and watching the NBA awards. Um, look, we all know what Giannis is like as a person. Um, we've all kind of basked in the various joys of that over the past six years. But like to see the moment play out like that, see just how much it meant to him. I, was, I wasn't actually prepared for that. I wasn't prepared for him to be that visibly emotional. And in some ways, it's kind of like, well, of course he will. It's really obvious. And of all the players, of all of the stories, of everything that goes into his story, his journey to get there, um, for being you know, undocumented in Greece when he was drafting, and you know, the, the difficulties with even just getting to America, getting his family to America, then obviously losing his father and not all that far in the past and all of that stuff, having his brothers there. Um, it's obviously going to be emotional, but I don't think I was prepared for just how much it means to him because so much of what he said over the years, and I'm not saying that this was in any way false because he he doubled down on it in his speech has been, you know, I'm all about winning. I just want to win, 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 win. The rest of the stuff will take care of itself. He was proven correct on that ultimately. Um, but I think in a way that might have masked just how much winning MVP would mean to Giannis. And it should do. And I'm glad it didn't just kind of sweep over him and he wasn't just like, oh, thank you very much. Uh, next year we're going to win a championship and just kind of give no acknowledgement to just how significant this feat is. I mean, I think of all leagues, the NBA is so, so competitive on an individual level to just be like one guy. This is what it's pointing out to. One guy can walk home with this award every year. It's why the list of MVP winners is so illustrious. I mean, it's one of the few awards where you just can't scroll down the list and be like, who was that guy? You know, who was that guy? And why did he win the award? In fact, I'm scrolling and scrolling and scrolling. There has never been an MVP winner like that. Maybe the, the only player that comes close to it is Derrick Rose. And you don't even do that for Derrick Rose because injuries derailing his career is, you know, a very obvious, okay, the player before, the player after. There are no mistakes when it comes to MVP. And Giannis earned this with an incredible season. And now all that remains, and I think what we'll see is he'll come back even better next year. Yeah, I agree. I thought it was... Great speech. It just was genuine. I think that that's the thing is that everything about Giannis that we've seen over the last six years, everything has been genuine in terms of just like he's this, you know, teenager that just is kind of goofy and, you know, experiencing America and all this stuff and then just kind of transform, you know, transforms into this literal basketball titan robot monster. <laughs> that just like is obsessed with being great and maintaining that too. I think that's, I mean, that's what's more 
the most important thing about him at this point is that he's just insane. <laughs> and, yeah, he's, uh, he's ridiculously driven. Like yeah. only the most successful athletes are. Yep. It's it's literally the thing that most likely, you know, if you want to go around sports and you're like, okay, what makes Serena Williams Serena Williams? What made Tiger Woods Tiger Woods? Um, you know, you you point to, okay, what's the difference between them and the others? And just this insane competitiveness, this unbelievable ability to remain driven is the thing that jumps off the page. Yeah. And I think, I know Alex Lazary, his one of his, his tweets just talking about it kind of like hit the nail on the head. It's like, there's a lot of guys like Giannis and not just from, you know, overseas, but just how we, it's, it's a very interesting way of like, you know, we look at the draft and like, oh, look at what these people could be and all this stuff. And you look at, all the physical gifts and like, oh, this is like the prototypical basketball player. But like at the end, like what makes Giannis Giannis is the fact he's just so freaking crazy about just wanting to be great. And we all know the anecdotes about, you know, him pushing his body to the limit, going after, you know, putting up free throws, working out his shot after games, after losses, especially, you know, nearly wanting to buy the cousin center because, uh, you know, after when they're building the practice facility, he just is a creature of habit and comfort and all this stuff. Like the fact that he bought the house of Mirza Talanovich, like that's where he lives. Like there's just all these anecdotes about just like how he is and just, he likes, you know, he, he likes what he knows or, or you know, all that stuff. Um, I don't know. I, I think, I think that's what makes his speech even more kind of, gratifying is that he let the moment sink in because a lot of the times you know you could just move on and say oh i'm, I'm gonna be here I, well he even said it himself <laughs> i want to try to be here next year and all this you know in the years to come and stuff like that but like you know this is obviously pretty momentous occasion so yeah i think that's what makes it you know all the more thrilling is that you just see this is just one step in the store uh, another in his already long story of just how he's become one of the best players in the NBA uh and one of the best stories of, in the NBA arguably ever yeah and in, and in all of sports i mean they're just stories like this don't really exist or even the potential for them is just so so rare um it's one of the few things that i found interesting at the time one of the few players even in the league right now who could come up with a story to rival this was Ton Maker. And that's that's kind of when the books drafted Ton and it wasn't just, oh, they're going for another long-armed guy. They went for another long-armed guy with just this insane story um, and this incredibly difficult and harrowing kind of life to bring him to that point and all the challenges he's faced. But yeah, Giannis is, Giannis is a real unicorn in more ways than one in terms of not just his game, but how it all kind of came together for him and what he's managed to become um, based on, you know, the little he had to begin with and the the little kind of, uh, I would, it would be wrong of me to say advantages because he really didn't have advantages to get his start, no. to get to where he was. And I think that was maybe most obvious at the moment where he, I mean, really broke in the speech for the first time was when he thanked the front office and he ta talked about, you know, for believing in, you know, this 18-year-old Greek kid and bringing me from there to here. You know, 
that's the moment because without that um and you know maybe another good time to let's tip our hat to john hammond on making that pick um <laughs> without that pick this whole thing would have been a lot more grim for quite some time but that moment changed his life entirely and it's you know it's the cliche of oh you know someone's life changes when they get drafted i'm not sure anyone's life has ever changed quite to the extent that Giannis has okay moving on from a great great nba awards night we're very briefly going to touch on some of the other happenings around the books at the moment we'll be back later in the week uh, myself jordan and i think dan larson will be joining us to talk true free agency and that will involve obviously some talk of what the books have got going on in terms of their own pending free agents but also looking at some of the other things they're going to have to do it's just not really discussed because there's so much else going on but i started to kind of look at players and write about this today and they could very realistically have five roster spots to fill after they bring back the key guys that everyone's you know thinking about and focusing on so there's a lot that the Bucks need to do in free agency, so uh, maybe we're all kind of missing just how significant some of those other things could be because of the frontline obvious concerns. Um, but there could be a lot of things the Bucks have to do, hopefully more gems that John Horse has to find. That's a conversation for later in the week, although, who knows, maybe some of the players we're going to talk about now could fit into that category and it may be evidence such as a greater opportunity than there has been in recent years for book summer league players to make the jump to the NBA team proper and find a way to stick with Milwaukee. Um, since the draft, as is always tradition, the early hours of the morning straight after the draft, teams get to work on signing undrafted free agents. The books were no exception to that. I believe first off the board, you know, I won't even guess at that because I'm not going to remember what order uh, they came in. Um, kind of will say day one of signings. Most notable is Fletcher McGee. Just one letter away from being, you know, all too perfect. Uh, I, I, w- I would have been, you know, his biggest champion. I would have made sure he made the team, Jordan if his name was spelt with a C <laughs> rather than an A, because, you know, I want I want the McGee Bucks jersey. That aside, in terms of actual basketball stuff, uh, Fletcher McGee is an interesting pickup because he is the all-time NCAA leader in three-point makes by quite a significant margin, and he did so while shooting 43.5%, so he's top 25 all-time in three-point percentage while also being first all-time in three-point makes pretty good mm-hmm. um <laughs> as flyers go and look there are other elements of his game that don't hold up to the nba level quite as obviously um yeah that may not be important there are guys who do get by on being just ridiculously good shooters because shooting has incredible value particularly if you're that accurate from three-point range this is, I mean, it's not like the books haven't had interesting signings in recent years for summer league and guys that may end up carrying over into training camp. But this is kind of at the higher end of that list, right? Particularly when, as I've already highlighted, there's going to be open roster spots, but then the season finished the way it did with plenty of really good, high quality shots created for the books, but too many players unable to knock them down. 
one area where the books I think would obviously like to improve this summer is with dead eye shooters. And considering how limited their salary is going to be, this may be one of the more intriguing ways to get one of those. Yep. Completely agree. And not even just, you know, actual roster spots, but two, they had that open two way. You know, I, I know we haven't touched on him yet, but Bonzi's on his two way, but that could easily be cycled through just considering just how teams kind of go through two ways at this point. Bonzi could um, end up on the main roster. That is also true. A real, I think real possibility if they liked him enough and they kept him around to have a good look at him and they're going to be looking for minimum guys to fill it out. And if they feel he's the right kind of guy in a project worth, you know, investing in at a minimum deal, not a lot to lose. I wouldn't be entirely shocked if they decide to take something of a plunge on Bonzi and he ends up with a real NBA contract for next season. Mm-hmm. But, you know, <laughs> I don't know what much much more to add to McGee other than you know he's gonna shoot the lights out if he gets any bit of daylight and that's you know putting his future aside. I mean that's that alone is gonna make the summer league at least entertaining for my money if he's you know has a if he turns out a a solid summer league showing. Yeah, and he's not the only player of that type with that particular skill set um that's going to be on the book summer league team they are set up to look again stylistically very different to previous book summer league teams should probably at this point add that for anyone who may have missed it it seems very unlikely that dante DiVincenzo is going to be taking parts we're going to have dj and sterling um which is surprising to be honest how they many won't play the whole summer league i would say two games maybe three at a push if that like Especially we'll see what sterling. happens I kind of think both, like, I mean, the case could be made for either. Sterling might just look ridiculously good. Like, we touched on, it was the last episode, can't remember quite how we got there, but, like, Sterling against the Hawks, what he did there. Um, So, (laughs) put him in that kind of role against Summer League competition now, that could get pretty ridiculous very quickly. Um, Outside of Fletcher McGee, um, Division 2 Player of the Year, Dalton, is it Dalton Holmes? I think it's Ham or Homes? Hames? I don't know. See, it's it's actually French, but this is where I was bailing out because I know how this works at this point. There's yeah. no way it's getting the French pronunciation. Um, <laughs> it's just that doesn't happen in America. So I, I was going with Dalton Holmes because that's kind of how it looks. And I feel like that's what broadcasters kind of will have long settled on. Um, again, though, another really accomplished three-point shooter, a really good scorer, all-around player. Um, interesting path too. Interesting path, and just another kind of worthwhile flyer. Um, most recently it became a, I guess Gordon Hayward's primary workout partner last summer when Hayward was coming back to, I guess what we're calling full health, something resembling full health. We won't Certainly hold that, full health. We won't hold that against them. Um, what, yeah, but that is something that is said to be very significant because all of a sudden this guy. Ended up on NBA radars. It was, okay, who's this? He had a really strong uh, senior season with, like, how do I remember? I should remember, but I can't. Um, Whatever Division Two team he was playing for. And here we are. He's going to get a shot at Summer League. Um, One of the slightly different pickups that also came on that first day was Matt Farrell. Um, Matt Farrell, uh, former player at Notre Dame, 
Mm-hmm. Notre Dame. How do you Notre again? Dame. Here Notre we are. Dame. French. This is the problem. It's not. It's really. It's Notre Dame. But Damien Inglis. <laughs> <laughs> um. Former teammate of Bonzi Colson, who we just mentioned, and um, maybe Pat. No, I think I think they were one year. Pat finished. Mm. He came in the next year. No, that can't be right because Bonzi and Pat played together, right? Yeah. Pat's senior season year. was Bonzi's freshman season, so it would be the same for Farrell. Was Farrell a transfer? Anyway, we're getting lost down the Notre Dame books rabbit hole. Um, Matt Farrell was in the G League with um, Delaware last year, the Sixers affiliate. Um, you may remember seeing him. You may well not remember seeing him. I certainly wouldn't hold I... that against you. Do you remember? No, I remember him. Yeah. Okay. Well, then qualified to give some impressions. I mean, his numbers seem pretty solid, solid but unspectacular. I mean, not necessarily someone who we're necessarily expecting to um, stick with the books beyond this, but kind of. At worst, something they could fill out with the herd. The herd, yeah. Um, 10.8 points, 5.7 assists, 3.2 rebounds per game in the G League last year, which is solid production. Um, also, another interesting one, Rajon Tucker, a guard out of University of Arkansas, Little Rock, um, undersized, but incredibly athletic and explosive, averaged 20.3 points per game, 6.7 boards there last year, while again, shooting over 40% from deep. Um, exhibit 10. Exhibit 10, as recently as like four weeks ago was supposed to be going and joining Kenny Hardaway in Memphis. So, mm -hmm. and at that time he was also staying in the draft. I don't understand exactly how that works, uh, but he will also be joining the books. The following day, some more additions came in. Um, Luke May. I mean, John Hansen's gone, so I guess the books need some kind of tar heel. Tar -heel. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Luke May is a particularly experienced kind of seasoned college player um, that you you said to me at the time you felt like he could be an American or something. So. Yep. <laughs> Which I think is a very succinct way for describing his overall game and style of play. Um, I would say very similarly to Matt Farrell, someone who realistically you're saying could be a herd player next year. Um was but, a walk-on originally for North Carolina and became ACC most improved player for his junior season. Highly decorated. I mean, um, I think did he finish all ACC first team, if not last season, the year before. Um, obviously played a key role when they won a national championship in 2017. He's kind of, look, he's paid his dues at one of the best programs in college basketball and was very successful there. So, um We'll see how he looks. And I guess most interestingly of all, for different reasons, also announced on Saturday, um, I believe it was after the draft, is that Thanasis Antetokounmpo is going to be joining the Book Summer League team. Um, Yana's older brother, who played, I think it was just two games in the NBA with the Knicks, Yana's second or third season, somewhere around that time. Um, this is interesting in a lot of ways because one, it's kind of dicey. We've talked about this before about the game you get into when you bring a sibling of a player 
onto the team, and then Zoran you know, Dragic. Um, Chris Smith, <laughs> most famously, I think Chris Smith. Um, Terry Harris got a summer league deal with the Sixers. This don't summer. forget about Tyler. That was another one that came through yesterday. I, how many of them is there? I don't know. I googled that yesterday because I was like, didn't they all? Didn't the Sixers already give that guy a contract? How's he with the Nuggets now? But no, Tobias Harris has two brothers who will be playing in summer league this summer. I'm surprised the Sixers didn't go all out and just give the two of them summer league deals while they tried to re-sign Tobias. But um, yeah, you set up a weird thing of you know potentially having to cut your star player's brother in this case, which not ideal in some ways. I'm sure Giannis would understand. I'm sure he'll get how this works. I mean, they tried. But I'll be honest, best friend. Not quite his brother. <laughs> Michael Carter Williams didn't get a didn't get a shout out. Nor did Jason Kidd in um, the MVP speech. You know, um, bro- brothers, Tom. Brothers is a different Christian kind of Wood. deal. Or Christian Wood. You know, like brothers and actual brothers, different things. Um, I will say something else here though. Tanasis is kind of interesting. I've seen a lot of people talk about this. I don't, I don't. He has become a really kind of, I think if he had a different name and circumstances were different, you'd be all in on this because he's one of the funkiest kind of players you could possibly add to a summer league squad and potentially could go further. I mean, he has been really good with Panathinaikos in recent years. He's been really successful. One of the best programs in European basketball. Um, He's a really good defender. Like, there's a lot of other stuff missing from his game, but this is something I can even specifically remember jumping out from, say, when Giannis last played for Greece, which was what, Olympic qualifiers? Am I right in saying that? 2017. Sounds right. Um, yeah, because then the whole controversy broke up. Right. But Tanasa's athleticism, his just sheer intensity and what he can do defensively was interesting at that point. And by all accounts, it seems like he's really refined his game somewhat since then. Like, under normal circumstances, I wouldn't be giving this any consideration. But again, the books could have quite a few roster spots to fill with no money to do so. Um, Room exception plus possibly four minimum contracts. Maybe you can get more with all the money going around in free agency this summer. That's going to be tricky, but maybe you can get more. Uh, I'm not saying it will happen, but if Tanasis looked really good at Summer League, I think there is a wild card element there. Now, that is no better because if you give him a real NBA contract and then mid-season you're like, oh, Giannis, your brother's cut. And then you're asked to decide a Super Max at the end of the season. I'm not sure this is the game you want to get into if you're the books, um, but they have dipped their toes in it somewhat. I am intrigued to see what he looks like uh, because I do think there is something there. I certainly think he could be a I'm talking like end the bench, but just you know, you can still be a two way. At the that's most, true, and that's yeah, a good. I... That, that's a potentially good idea. I I think there's something worth exploring there. We'll see how he looks at summer league. If he looks lost at summer league, well then I guess it's worth retaking. My, my thing summer about... league is summer league, so maybe I shouldn't be waiting and putting too much stock in anything we see at summer league. Yeah. Go on, Jordan. You were going to say... Well, I was, was going to say the same thing. I was like, 
because I saw people kind of buzzing about it. I was like, oh, Thanasis. And, you know, do all the connections and stuff like that. Like, the worst thing you could do, and believe me, I'm as crazy about Summer League as anyone is. No, you're crazier. We're a week away from me being like, this is a complete waste of time. Why yep. are we doing this? This is a conversation yep. we all have. I'll be like, this is always, we always do. <laughs> I hate it. And Jordan will be like, no, come on, it's great. I'm like, well, you can you can watch it on solo podcasts on it from here on out. The worst thing about having going into summer league is having expectations. <laughs> what if they're good? They'll have to play like ten games or something, won't they? Go well, there's, it's already going to. It's from three to four for the pre-tournament play. Yeah, and they normally get playing, they normally get knocked China out then. So that's five five games max, and you know that's too many. But what if they're good? But I think they I think they whittled down the tournament though. Let's hope so. I mean, that's I believe they did because it's only. I think it's like I don't know. Let's just start with a tournament. How about it? Open draw. Why are we seeding summer league teams as if this matters? Open draw. Start with a tournament. Oh, you lost. Well, okay. You can have a consolation bracket. Then you're done. Like two games. You're out of here. Um, That's for next week, though. I'm sure you're all very excited about that. Um, Lastly, Xavier Monford, Malik Andrews, VSPN reported on whatever day. Yes, it was Monday. Monday. Mumford will be joining the books at Summer League, which is great news. Um, we are both very much long-time fans of Xavier Mumford. And I did tweet about this. Again, another player with with how their roster is going to shake out and the possibility that they will be looking to fill it and take some flyers at very low cost. Um, it, You know what? Maybe it's not the best option that's going to be there. It likely won't be. But part of me would really love if Xavier Mumford could get a, a minimum deal with the books and spend the season with the actual books. He has been around the organization so much longer than about 90% of the people who are actually associated with all things books. Like, with the way everything has turned over in the past couple of years, there aren't many players who've been between his two-way contract, his time with the herd, all of that stuff, just being around the books and got to know all of the various people and kind of briefly kind of pop their head up every now and then in a way that Mumford has. So um, that's great. And also, I mean, people who haven't watched the herd play before, I haven't seen him. Uh, Xavier Mumford is, is pretty skilled. And in summer league, he could, he could really put on a show. Now, all of that depends on sometimes those kind of guys don't get the minutes or the role that you would, if it was real basketball, because you're not necessarily being like, let's go ahead and win this and let Xavier Mumford play whatever the equivalent of 40 minutes how long are games 10 minute quarters mm-hmm. too long let's make it six minute quarters <laughs> um but mumford could put on a show and uh, i'll be excited for that too there are at least some players there particularly with dante missing out dante missing out for me was like ugh, does this really have to happen even now can we just cancel summer league um but there are some things to look forward to and Still room for one more guy? There's rumor. I don't know if you saw over the weekend, but there's rumors of an old Bucks draft pick. I don't. That's not true. That can't be true. I, I assume that was a joke and just, you know, someone spotted him in Milwaukee. I don't know. Why, Jordan? Why would that happen? What is the reason for that? What? Who does that benefit in any way? We should it's probably cool. say the name because if people don't nope. know what we're talking nope, 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 about. <laughs> Jordan, tell the people who you're talking about. And 
tell people you seem kind of excited at the prospect of showing up for Summer League. The circle is complete. <laughs> no, Joe Alexander. Joe Alexander. Joe Alexander. I mean, Yanis won MVP on Monday night, and Jordan's like, do you see who might be playing Summer League with the books? I showed more enthusiasm about Joe Alexander. Joe Alexander is now 32 years old and already stands out as probably the worst draft pick in books history. Oh, no, 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 no. No, we can go. Th- that that might be a topic for another day, but we can go through some. I, he is right there. He is right there. He's right there, but he. There are some people that I don't. We have to go through it. We're not. We won't. We won't dive too deep into that one for now. Um, that is where the books are set with summer league right now. Um, there is room for. Is it one or two more spots open? Two. Right now we have twelve. Well, this is also without Colt Bonzi being confirmed. But oh, bon- Bonzi's going to be there. Yeah, but with Dante being hurt, there might be another. You know, who knows? Maybe they fill. I mean, seeing the other teams like summer league roster, there are like people that are like or teams that are carrying like twenty players. I thought it had to be like eleven guys or twenty. I thought it was fifteen. No, it's not. It's definitely not full roster size. Look at the magic one. They just released one today, and it was like, I'm going to count it. Are they playing in the other summer? Is there another summer league, or is it all just Vegas now? There's Sacramento and... Well, they're probably playing in one of those. Why can't the books just play in one of those summer leagues that last like two days? Why not do that? I know every team now plays in Vegas, but... Anyway, we're getting mired in summer league stuff before we have to. We will have summer league podcasts... Um, th- between now and then, there is incredibly important stuff to happen, though. Magic are carrying 19 players on their Summer League roster. He just can't stop Tresky's appetite for Summer League. He's no. wants to keep breathing it back to Summer League. Um, we will talk Summer League in the very near future. Before that, we'll talk all things free agency. To make sure you don't miss any of it, you should subscribe to Snapple Podcast, follow us on SoundCloud, add us on Stitcher, our favorites on TuneIn Radio. Um, we're also on Spotify. I think that's the one I've forgotten recent ones. I'm pretty sure we're on Spotify. Someone asked me to do that, and I did it. So look for us there if you listen to podcasts that way, and you should find us. Um, in the meantime, make sure you check out all of our writing surrounding free agency, all the various things going on with the books. You can find myself, Jordan, and basically anyone else who ever pops up on the podcast with us here on BehindTheBookPass.com. We'll be back with you very soon. I'd say a couple of days for some free agency talk. In the meantime, thanks as always for listening. Thank you, Jordan. Thank you.